Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Before we dig into the questions, and we, you know, we kind of called out for Open Floor mail emailers to to bring some heat because, you know, we were arguing, are these good questions, are these bad questions during kind of the downtime of the season? And we got some great questions over these last couple of days. We should take a moment to say a huge thank you from me, from you, from everybody associated with Open Floor. Actually, there's just two of us. What am I even saying? <laughs> to our producer, Lou Pellegrino. Lou shepherded this podcast and saved us from ourselves so many times over, I don't know, the last two years or so. Um, and I guess he's moving on to the next chapter of what is an award-winning, illustrious uh, podcast production career. So yep. huge shout out and thank you to Lou. Hopefully you're listening. Actually, Lou might be the type of guy who never listens to us again. You know, who knows? <laughs> I wouldn't but, blame him if he was sick of us by now and just never listens to the podcast. But yes, Lou has held us down through thick and thin over the last two years. He's a big reason the podcast has grown. He's also a diehard Knicks fan. He is a uh, habitual NBA gambler who bets the overs. Um <laughs> regularly and has done pretty well with that as far as i can tell um so yeah he's the man but i mean we tape these like two hour long episodes and we send him like 75 cuts that we need to do and you know every once in a while we get emails from people saying hey you might have missed a cut just realize that lou was batting like 99.9 percent on the cut so if you randomly hear me chewing andrew out for no reason that's not supposed to be in the episode <laughs> that was like the 0.1 percent and of course i apologize to you for that uh, being public andrew with that gratitude and thanks to Lou out of the way, though, I'm ready to take your questions as long as they're not Lakers questions, Andrew. I don't know how much more Lakers talk I can really stomach at this point. I went to their game the other night against the Pelicans. Um, you know, big shot by LeBron, much needed victory. It was just so sad. Anthony Davis is just watching like a fan during the fourth quarter. I mean, he must just feel miserable at his state of existence. Yeah. And I, there's a lot of other topics to talk about right now. So I think we should. Can we make this a Lakers free podcast? Can I push you in that direction, maybe? Um, 100% no. Okay. <laughs> and we oh. get occasional complaints from people being like, oh, you talk too much Lakers, blah, blah, blah. The Lakers are pretty fascinating right now. And, uh, you know, 80% of the league is, is not that interesting, but the Lakers continue to twist and turn through the season and get darker and, uh, and we have to hit them. Okay. And uh, if anything, right. because fair enough. Well, and we were in a bad mood when we recorded the podcast earlier this week because I was still sick. You were overtired and kind of grumpy in the morning. And yeah, in full I, disclosure, full disclosure, for some reason I scheduled uh, my annual doctor's physical, which what a joyous occasion that is, right? <laughs> I don't know how I did this. I scheduled it for eight fifteen on a Monday morning, like six months ago. What could I have possibly been thinking when I did that? And in California, that means you have to wake up like two hours before your appointment because you got to deal with the traffic, right? Somehow I wake up super early, still missed it. It put me in the worst mood for the rest of the day and you caught the uh, the worst of it, frankly. <laughs> well, and uh, yeah, first of all, I do not miss that about living in LA, having to wake up like an hour and a half before to try and beat the traffic. Uh, God, that was awful. And really, it's it's the revenge uh, from the rest of the country for all the other 
LA amenities that you get to enjoy. Um, you spend yeah. The best part is it just rains like Oregon now down here. I don't know what's going on. Climate change is hitting Southern California in a big time way. It's super weird, but I'm not going to whine. Uh, we should probably keep this a little bit more on track than we've been so far. <laughs> well, I'm jealous of the rain. I, if, I wish it had rained more while I was there. Um, but yes, let's get back on track. The bottom line with the the episode earlier this week. I was in a bad mood because there just wasn't anything new to talk about. And now we have some new stuff to talk about. The listeners came through with great questions all over the league. Um, But I do want to start with this from Joseph, who asks, who do you think has had a rougher time of it since the great leadership and accountability summit between Kyrie and LeBron James last month? (laughs) It's a great question. (laughs) It's a really, really good question because boy, oh boy, both of their seasons have just gone in the tank since that mysterious phone call, which, you know, I don't think it was possible to appreciate just how bizarre that whole thing was as it happened. Um, That's one of those things where like a year or two is going to pass and we're going to look back and be like, wow, remember when Kyrie just out of the blue claimed to have made amends to LeBron and everybody pretended it was this big moment of reckoning and we all kind of bought into it. I guess you and I didn't buy into it, but, um, but what do you think as, as far as Kyrie and LeBron are concerned? Every time I think about Kyrie and the Celtics, all I can think about, you mentioned the over-under bets that Lou likes to make. All I can think about is you coming on this podcast and saying the Celtics were a mortal lock, bet everything that they were going to go over. (laughs) And you realize that this week, not only did the Milwaukee Bucks reach a huge milestone by surpassing their win total from last year, uh-huh. Um, which is you know right on track to you know sixty three something wins that they're going to get this season just brings a tear to my eye, but the Celtics officially went under on their end of season uh, over under win total, making your five star lock completely wrong. How does it feel? Um, well, I, I made peace with the state of the Celtics as far as the regular con- season is concerned a long time ago. They have been a mess, and it just was clear even halfway through the year that like. Kyrie was not the guy who was going to stabilize them and get them to that 55, 60 win baseline. And um, and that's all well and good. And it has been fun to watch Celtics fans get a little bit more unglued each passing week here because, you know, Kyrie comes out and talks about potentially leaving this summer and that throws the entire future into uncertainty and uh, pot- could potentially cost them not just Kyrie, but also Anthony Davis. And um, as a longtime Wizards fan and longtime Celtics hater, the last couple weeks have been great. But I will say that watching everybody kind of dance on the Celtics' grave this week, and I participated myself at one point, I just have a sinking feeling that this is not how the story is going to end. Yeah, you wrote a nice column on the Celtics, basically laying out that uh, laying out that argument. And you know, sometimes when I start your columns, I think, okay, come on, Sharp, you're just you, you're hearing everybody bleeding the same thing about how Celtics are, you know, falling apart on Twitter. So you're just trying to run the other way with it, you know argue the opposite opinion just to kind of get attention and get your clicks i see you do that every once in a while i'm not gonna of course lie. we we but, all do it's part of being in the media I, I don't know if you have a mouse in your pocket again i mean you've had this problem <laughs> with the royal we lately it's just crazy but uh, this column actually you did a nice job of convincing me that uh, you know if 
you want to look at a team that actually has contending capabilities, uh, a team that would maybe have reason not to be motivated night in and night out over the course of the season, that it would be the Celtics, right? Yeah. Um, I think that starts with Kyrie. I mean, I can't believe he came out this week and basically just said, like, I, I just want to play on the highest level. I don't even really – he basically just said, you know, screw the regular <laughs> season. Again, this is what I mean in terms of, like – is this the correct leadership personality, right? I'm well, not sure it is. But at the same time, we can pretty uh, you know, well assume that once it does become May, he will be ready to turn it up and you're going to get your best Kyrie in the playoffs. At least I expect that. And I'm sure you probably do too, right? Yeah. You know what the best reaction to that Kyrie quote was? was um, and, and again, this is coming off four straight losses three of which have been to playoff ugly. teams. <laughs> yeah. No, ugly, a, a ugly losses. Were just I mean, they're flat out blowouts. <laughs> yeah. And Kyrie comes out Wednesday night after the loss to the Blazers and says, I still think we can play at the highest levels. And when we're playing our best basketball, nobody in the Eastern conference can touch us. And then I think it was a Bucks fan on Twitter. I forget the handle, but he came out and quote tweeted that and said, well, the Boston Celtics are officially the Washington Wizards now, so we got that going for <laughs> us. <laughs> and that's the ultimate indictment of Kyrie's leadership. And again, he should just talk a little bit less after games. But at the same time, and look, I wouldn't have written that column just to be counterintuitive because I do kind of find that stuff annoying. I just have this sinking feeling that we're going to be dealing with this team for longer than it seems this week. And um, and they are kind of built for war and built to thrive in a playoff environment. They can switch. If if Horford's healthy, they are going to be a problem. And that Bucks series in the second round, if if Boston ends up being in that fourth spot in the East or, or even the fifth spot, like the, the Bucks series is going to be a war. I think that Boston probably scares Milwaukee more than anyone in the East. And... Um, the Bucks should be favored, no question, but to me, it'll end up being a, close to a toss-up once we get there. Yeah, I mean, if they get if the Celtics draw the Sixers in the first round, and like this is the true you know test of how much you're panicking about the Celtics, right? Right. Are you really going to beat the Sixers? Uh, pick the Sixers to beat them in the first round series, and based on what? You know, well, like what is the argument for Philly to beat Boston? Let me hear so, that because here's the th- thing. There, that's though. why I said your your argument was pretty convincing in your column because it's like, all right, well, I don't really see anyone besides Milwaukee taking Boston out in the East. Yeah, the one argument I would make on the Sixers' behalf is that every Sixers-Celtics game comes down to the final two or three possessions. And, um, I mean, they're they're really evenly matched. And Boston has just made smarter plays, made bigger shots in in those key moments that end, end up deciding games time and time again. But that may not continue forever. And, like... Al Horford may not just like lock Embiid up and make him 50% as effective for the rest of Embiid's career. And uh, so that's why like if it were Philly and Boston, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel doomed if I were Philly. Like I, I would, I would enjoy the role of the underdog there because I think those teams are closer than they've seemed. 
Okay, so let's play this out. Let's say Philly beats Boston in the first round. Then Kyrie goes to New York this summer to team up with Kevin Durant for the soft, <laughs> for the soft drink commercial, right? Yeah. That would potentially open the door for Cleveland to, to claim victory in the Kyrie for Isaiah Thomas trade retroactively because they got Colin Sexton out of it, right? So if Kyrie never contributes to a playoff run in Boston and he bounces for nothing – doesn't the the right to draft Colin Sexton wind up being the best asset in that deal? And doesn't uh, <laughs> doesn't Kobe Altman get to claim belated victory in one of the most pan trades we've seen in recent memory? You know what's really sad and, and you know legitimately a little bit embarrassing to admit on our national NBA podcast, but. I have no idea. You forgot idea. Cleveland was in the NBA? <laughs> well, I haven't watched a Cavs game in like four months. I have no idea what kind of season Colin Sexton is having. I, I know that... Look, it's not he, good. It's not good by any stretch. I'm just saying it's better than nothing, right? And Isaiah gave Cleveland nothing. Yes. If Kyrie bounces and doesn't get them to the second round this year, that's the equivalent of nothing when you're looking at the hype factor. And now Colin Sexton, you're going to have under contract for like six or seven years. Presumably, he's going to do something during that time period, right? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, a <laughs> leap of faith for whatever Colin Sexton is doing in Cleveland this year. I know he did reclaim some dignity after all those veterans took shots at him in those first couple of weeks. He started to level off a little bit. So I'm sure he's doing fine. You know, the Cavs still exist somewhere in the uh, furthest reaches of the NBA. But as far as Boston is concerned, yes, that nightmare scenario is still very much on the table. And and half the reason I'm hedging my bets with Boston this spring is I don't want to get too excited and jinx anything because the idea of Kyrie committing to the Celtics and talking about retiring as a Celtics. Like, remember the Nike commercial where he's playing one-on-one with his dad and talking about having his jersey in the in the rafters of the garden there? Yeah, whose jersey gets retired first, Kyrie's in Boston or LeBron's in L.A.? You know, I actually <laughs> had this very, very vivid daydream, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, you know how there's this whole idea of, oh, Kyrie's basically becoming LeBron. He's like, you know, growing into the person that he, he couldn't stand and kind of reviled in Cleveland. Yep. I had this daydream, and granted, I'm admitting that I daydream about Giannis and the Bucks, but it's true. I had this vivid daydream of basically Kyrie walking off the court disgusted after the Bucks beat them in like five games in the second round, just like LeBron walked off the court disgusted when they, he couldn't overcome the Celtics uh, right before the decision when he left in the summer. And Ooh, you remember how yeah, sad right. he was at the end of... So I, I had a daydream of history repeating itself in exactly that way. So maybe Kyrie's <laughs> got to line up Jim Gray for his television special. I don't know how he's going to do it. You know, it's it's difficult to predict the very much woke. Yeah. But that scenario is also in play where it's like they get through Philly, but then just because they don't have their stuff together because they haven't been clicking all season long because they don't have the chemistry because they don't play for each other. And frankly, they don't seem to really buy into their leader's viewpoint of how things should go. Mm-hmm. Those are red flags to me. And I'm not saying, okay, you know, they're going to be an easy out in the postseason. But if you're going up against a superstar level guy in Giannis, a guy who's got win shares per 48 that are on par with the very best LeBron and the very best Michael Jordan seasons of their career, yep. uh, that's scary. You know, especially when and everybody's on the same page there in Milwaukee. Like, for example, Giannis was sat out 
uh, most of overtime last night in a win over the Sacramento Kings because of a minutes restriction, I guess. And, and he wasn't really playing that well. So uh, Bud just like rolled with the second unit. Do we get a five minute monologue from Giannis about the respect he's owed as a superstar or like how he's going to teach the young guys how to win or all this other <laughs> nonsense we get from some of these other players? No, he was cheering for his teammates on the bench. Uh, Eric Bledsoe had some phenomenal on-ball defense on De'Aaron Fox oh down my the stretch God, to yeah. kind of force overtime. And then they came through with a team effort and put away Sacramento, a very plucky Sacramento team, on the road. Those kinds of things, I understand, uh, and in your column, you were sort of dismissing like the Portlands and the Torontos of recent years where they go on these huge runs late yep. in the season when a lot of teams aren't trying. But those kinds of moments from a team like Milwaukee, just that A-plus chemistry would scare the mess out of me if I was Brad Stevens. Yeah, and no, there's no question just as the Bucks should fear the Celtics more than anyone in the East, the Celtics should fear the Bucks more than anyone in the East. And really, the whole East should fear the Bucks because they've been that It's a good. fear off. It's a fear <laughs> off, Andrew. It's a, it's a fear down. Everyone's scared. Yeah, I do, though, just in a general big picture sense, I tend to short the teams that everyone falls in love with at this point in the season. And if you go back, you know, this time last year, a lot of people were talking themselves into the Raptors. A lot of people were talking themselves into the Blazers. And Andrew, I'm going to challenge you here. You need to come up with a mantra. You know all the mantras that I have that you make fun of that wind up kind of being things I can live by and we can just completely, you know, uh, bash people in the head with it. Well, they yes. For the greatest ability is availability. This right. is your mantra. You hate the the cute story teams in the second half of the season. You, <laughs> you've hated them for years since and, I first started talking to you. Yeah. And let me tell you, Ben, it has served me well over my time watching the NBA and forecasting where this stuff goes. Uh, I think last year, actually, I remember being flabbergasted and it was strictly a byproduct of just having nothing else to say, but you wrote a column on the Raptors and how they measured out compared to other Cavs opponents through the LeBron era and why well, they might we have know, a chance. <laughs> but Andrew, you know why we wrote that? It's so that you could say, you know, as soon as they lose, they have to trade tomorrow, which is what I said. People forget that, by the way. I said they should trade tomorrow a month before it happened. It caught a you lot did. of crap for that when I wrote it, and then it happened. So, I mean, look, that's just okay. A, so, look, maybe a, you were it's playing It's a covering of all the bases, Andrew. If I want to write the trade tomorrow <laughs> column, I have to give them credit when they're playing well, right? All right. I just remember being on the podcast then and saying, right, let's not get too carried away with what this season actually is in toronto um and and oh, look build them up break them down this is the <laughs> oldest thing in the book yes whatever you say what i would add though beyond my sort of mysticism and sense that the cell things just always work out for this goddamn basketball team um and beyond my eye rolling at you know late february nba takes I do think in a real sense, if you look at the profile of the Celtics, like they have been really good more often than not this year. They've had a couple stretches where they've lost some games and things have gotten weird with Kyrie and everyone has acted like the sky is falling. But even if you pull back their schedule now, like they've lost six of eight, but they're still in really good shape. They're only two and a half back of the of the Sixers in fourth place. They're three games back of the Pacers in third place. Like there's plenty of room for them to even get that third seed. And, um, and then once you get to the playoffs, 
I think that they're going to have as many weapons as anyone. Like Pascal Siakam outplayed Jason Tatum earlier this week. As good as Siakam has been, and he's been awesome, I still trust Tatum more in a half-court seven-game series than I trust Siakam. And I, I, I feel bad about that, but like that's just the way it is. And uh, and that's true kind of up and down the roster with Boston. Siaka might be the only guy I trust in Toronto right now, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I, maybe it's just because I'm sick of watching uh, uh, Kawhi just pound, pound, pound the basketball. I mean, I if I was his teammates, that's another guy where, okay, he doesn't really have that leadership personality. We've known that. But yeah. his style of play is not very empowering either. And I think he skates on it because – uh, you know, people show him a lot of respect for the two-way game and all that, but he does not get guys involved. I don't know. I, I am higher on Siakam for sure and what he's going to be able to do in these playoffs than you are. I no. trust in the in the leap that he's made. Yeah, and I also should apologize to Siakam more generally and Raptors fans who might have hated my take like about a month ago. We came <laughs> on here and talked about him and... and to be fair, he was being thrown out as like the centerpiece of an Anthony Davis package, and I, you know, I don't really see that for him. Um, but I kind of well, here's the thing. So Je Skeets, you know, one of the, from the starters, he put a yeah. tweet out saying, "Look, if we're going to call Tatum twelve time, and he shouted us out, which was nice of him to do. <laughs> uh, do we have to call Siakam seven or eight time? Right? And I and that that comparison bothers me because. Siakam's like five years older than Tatum, isn't he? I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but no, people forget is. Siakam's age. Right. He, his age uh, is certainly a factor in in kind of like second guessing what the ceiling actually is. But he's so much better than I realized when we were talking about him six weeks ago and I kind of gave him the jerk off motion. Like he's been really, really good <laughs> for the last month. And, uh, and he is going to be a factor for the Raptors. I just still trust Tatum's upside a little bit more. And when you get into these playoff series, like the, the, the guys with the high ceiling tend to be the difference makers. And, um, and Tatum certainly was you know, last year. You know what this reminds me of? I had this hilarious conversation last night at Staples Center with one of our listeners, Kevin Funk. And he's one of the guys who got the you know, Golliver and Sharp jerseys. You know, he's a real open for I was diehard. really jealous that you got to sort of have a summit with him. Was that before the game or afterward? Uh, no, after the game, he was incredible. He is so well adjusted, Andrew. I got to be honest. When I heard someone put custom jerseys with our names on the back, <laughs> I was a little nervous. Yeah, it's a little but, bit of a red know, flag. I mean, <laughs> it, it is, but not. Only, he's a world traveler. He's you know gainfully employed. He's really making you know making money moves. I, I think is the phrase some kids use. Wow. Um, but what he I know, right? What he said <laughs> though. He's tried to sell our podcast to to his friends in Canada, and he explained how poorly that's gone for him. <laughs> He's like, well, you guys are a niche thing. You just crap on the Raptors all day long. There's, <laughs> there's not, you know, you have these silly nicknames like the termites, and he was telling people, give it like two episodes, give it like five episodes, give it like 10 episodes, and they're just like, what are you talking about, man? Um, I think... You have just made the strongest pitch that we've heard to the the Canadian fan base in a long time. You, I think you're, you're sounding like you're admitting you were wrong about Siakam. Yeah. That's big of you, man. That's yeah. that's really big. Yeah, I'm contrite. You know what can I say? Um, but at least at least halfway contrite. I still don't super trust <laughs> Siakam. Um, but uh, what can I do? Progress, not perfection. Moving on, though, I do want to talk specifically about Tatum, and we could talk a little about Ingram, too, because we got a lot of questions comparing the two of those guys. Tom said, 
You guys have talked a lot about Ingram lately, but haven't really touched on 12-time All-Star Jason Tatum. So what's your actual opinion on his ceiling? I see him as a Luol Dang type, a guy that gets buckets off pin downs rather than a star player. And I really enjoy the shade there from Tom, first of all. That's a great troll of Celtics fans everywhere who see Tatum as a future Hall of Famer. But I'm curious for your read on Tatum, and you can throw in some Ingram takes too if you want, because he's been pretty solid lately. For sure. So let's start with Luol Deng before all of it. Okay. Don't remember 35-year-old Luol Deng. Luol Deng could actually go pretty well. Uh, and, you know, and, and Tibbs realized that. I mean, he was all over it, making sure Luol played like 42.9 minutes per night. Yep. So that's not like some slanderous comparison by the emailer. Uh, in terms of Tatum, though, I think he can be a lot better because I, I trust his handle currently and his ability to improve it. Um, and I also think that uh, he is going to have a reckoning this summer when he looks back on kind of the style of play that he played this year and realize that he just left a lot on the table. A lot yeah. of the things I used to complain about Paul George about, I complain uh, about when I watch Tatum in, in terms of settling for tough twos, you know, wanting to be Kobe rather than being that downhill player who really knifes through defenses and gets all the high percentage look, gets to the free throw line and plays the right way. Mm-hmm. When I watch the Celtics, I see Kyrie trying to be Pistol Pete Maravich and I see Tatum trying to be Kobe. And it just drives me crazy. That's why the other day I was saying, you know, it's kind of like an affront to basketball. Yeah. That was more about their their defensive or intensity or lack thereof rather than their offensive style. But they're not really that fun to watch on either side. And the problem on offense is just they should be a lot better than they are. They've got some real talent here. And I think the the fascinating uh, contrast or comparison between Tatum and Ingram is how much context matters because Tatum was, to me, a lot better without Kyrie on the court. Uh, yeah. you know, I think he just felt more comfortable. He had more room to operate. I think yeah, he was you know, maybe playing within a system a little bit more because they were forced to play kind of a systematic way on offense. Um, and what I see with Ingram lately is – you know, Luke Walton's going to a lot of these, uh, you know, small ball lineups, and he's really benefiting from the from the team context. And one thing that really bugged me with Ingram is like, okay, uh, you know, when he drives into traffic, like he wasn't finishing strong. He was kind of not getting to the free throw line. Um, you know, he was not really, you know, capable of finishing over and through big defenders. But when they get that big out of the paint and it winds up just sort of being this one-on-one game, whether it's LeBron or Ingram or Kuzma just kind of facing their guy up and going to the hoop, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden Ingram looks like a lot more effective finisher. And the points are coming more easily and in higher volume uh, when they go to those lineups. And so, uh, to me, it just makes you think, okay, well, some of the, the the limitations of Ingram's game that we saw earlier in this season might be ironed out if he actually played on a team that was sort of built around him. Yeah. Uh, and he is showing flashes here over the last month of being the kind of guy where like, okay, you know, he could be your number one player, probably not on a, on a title team, uh, but you could try to build an offense around him. And as long as you kept the floor as spaced as possible, uh, he would really benefit. And, you know, it's not just the lack of the big or, or, you know, taking the big out. Uh It's also just the poor shooting for LA, you know, and and that's a huge problem too, because when Ingram's driving, there's all sorts of help on his drives, especially earlier in the season, because they just have no shooters. And, you know, if you put him in Milwaukee, I mean, Ingram's going to have twice as many dunks as he has currently this season and his efficiency would skyrocket. Yeah. um, I'm curious if you were the Pelicans, has anything changed over the last month in terms of who you would want between Tatum or Ingram? I'll tell you what's changed. My level of disgust. I mean, being there in person <laughs> to watch this 
this show that they're putting on. It's egregious, Andrew. Anthony Davis warms up like he's a real player. I mean, this yeah. guy's going through these stretching routines. He's laying on the court. He's asking a staff member to stretch him out. You know, he's trying to give high fives to his teammates in the layup lines. He, you know, he's going through all these exaggerated things to get ready to jog through 20 minutes a night. Give me well, a break. And listen. after the game, he's kind of doubling down on the idea of, you know, he wants to be the best player in basketball. Bro, the best players in basketball play <laughs> basketball. Well, his minutes are being limited by the Pelicans, not by him or Rich Paul or anybody else. I well, think he have does we heard? Play. Have we heard him complain? Oh, really? Have you heard him complain? Have you heard him step up and say, play me? Let's At one do point, this. I'm sick of I it. Did. I want to be in the fourth quarter. Did he step up <laughs> on the bench when LeBron's you know queuing up that corner three to beat the Pelicans last night? Did he get up off the bench and walk to midcourt and check himself in? Because guess what? Alvin Gentry's not getting on Anthony Davis's back and holding him down and sending him back to the bench. I can promise you that's not how it would play out. If I don't know really, what you're truly asking him to, play, to do. Do you want him to just walk out onto the court and dare? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. I am asking that. I'm saying, no, I want him to take that mentality of, look, guys, you don't even have a GM. The guy who's in charge is a football guy. doesn't even know the difference. The owner's brand new owner. You know, who knows what she's up to? Yeah. If he wants to play, he can go out there and play. I'm, this is not some rigid Greg Popovich organization where, like, everybody has to fall in line or they're going to get suspended. What are they going to do? Suspend him for trying to check himself into the game? Come on. I, I don't even know. The whole thing, it's actually similar to the LeBron and Kyrie leadership summit. It's like, I kind of can't believe we're living through this and we're going to look back a year and a half from now and be like, remember when the NBA forced Anthony Davis to play and the Pelicans just had to sort of awkwardly go through the motions and play him 20 <laughs> minutes a night? Like, it's insane that everybody thinks this is a good idea and seems to be okay with it. Granted, media members, there's a new column every day talking about how stupid this is. But the it's NBA, I guess, is just trying to save face somehow. Like, it's it's bizarre. Um but we know that <laughs> there's really nothing more to say than this is just really stupid. The uh, are you with me though? Can we have a united front here? Anthony Davis should check himself in during the first time. <laughs> For the sake of the podcast, I'll stand with you. I'm not really sure okay. how the mechanics would work, but sure, Anthony Davis should just stand out there on the court until okay. he's forcibly Here- dragged off by like Kenrick Williams or someone. Okay, here's the mechanics. He takes off his shooting shirt. He walks to midcourt. He walks onto the court once there's a dead ball. That's the mechanics, Andrew. This is not complicated. He knows how to check into a game. Were you in the locker room last night? I mean, like, do his teammates just hate him at this point? Because the the vibes seem weird. It seems like the team plays harder without him. And, you know, so I, while I grant that Anthony Davis has handled a lot of this horribly, I do kind of feel for him. This is just a really tough position, regardless of what he tries to do. I feel for him too because there's been many times in my life where I was like the you know the this the the thumb sticking out sideways and I didn't realize it you know yeah and I think that he's sort of in that position like I think all of his teammates are just like dude why did all this have to happen this is your <laughs> no. fault but you don't really realize it and so there wasn't any like open animosity at all but yeah even just the the post game press conference where he's just getting badgered with questions about how many minutes, you know, how do you feel about the minutes limit? How many would you like to play? Do you feel like you're the best player in the world? Like he's getting all these questions, right? Uh-huh. And he has no answers for any of them. And he's just like listlessly going through the entire exercise. It's all a complete waste of his time. And 
there is nothing about that scene that says, oh yeah, this is a guy who should be, you know, the, the sixth best person at his job in the entire world. It's just, you know, basically somebody who's trying to barely pass their high school classes just so they can get the diploma to get their parents off their back. I mean, that's sort of what it looks <laughs> like, right? And I, I'll be honest, like I lost so much respect for Kawhi Leonard how he handled things last year. I think I might have actually lost more respect for Anthony Davis as this has played out. Do you understand how that feels a little hypocritical, though? Because you lost respect for Kawhi for sitting out, and now you're saying Anthony Davis should be demanding to play despite the fact that it it wouldn't really benefit his team to have him out there. So I'm not really sure who he would be appeasing in that scenario, except for you. <laughs> and now me, because I've <laughs> locked arms with you and demanding that he remain on the court for the rest of the Andrew, season. Andrew, what about, what about the basketball gods? What about karma? What about just doing your job and working hard and competing and trying okay. to win? What about that? <laughs> I hear you. Is that That's crazy? Fine. <laughs> sure. Um, I hear you. Uh, to take us back to Tatum very quickly, um, because okay. we've gone completely off course. The Tatum thing I do think is really interesting. And as far as the Celtics are concerned, I see a lot of what you described. Like they do look like a team full of individuals on a lot of possessions on offense. And, you know, guys have come out and openly said that, whether it's Marcus Smart this week, Marcus Morris a couple weeks ago. And I think the way that yeah. could be solved. We're aware that they're aware of their problems, aren't yes, we? Yes, yes. They've been pretty open about it. Um but that, again, I think is just a byproduct of like being in that Boston media climate where everybody expects to win every game. And like the, the Cavs would have been a shit show <laughs> in Boston over the last few years <laughs> because the expectations are just so high. And the idea of like kind of coasting through the regular season doesn't really compute up there. Um, but the I, I think that there's the potential for them to win some big games early in the playoffs and get the ball moving in the right direction. And then, you know, momentum. I could see there being a really annoying, like, redemption story where the team overcomes everything that was splintering them earlier in the year and they start to really get clicking on offense. I think that's very much a possibility. And um, the other thing I would mention is... Like well, before you hop into that though, I just I would need to point this out on behalf of the listeners because I I know they can hear this too. You sound like somebody who went through the ugliest breakup and you're trying to protect your heart. Like you do, you want to just give the Celtics every possible benefit of the doubt. You don't want to get sucked into the pure hatred of them because you're just <laughs> so ready the for them to just like that is currently a real possibility would just be so spectacular that we have to be very careful here. Okay. I'm leaving no stone yeah. unturned. The other yeah, factor you're so guarded. It's unbelievable. <laughs> the other factor that really is a big deal with the Celtics is Gordon Hayward has just been awful. And I don't know how much longer we're all going to continue dancing around it, but like teams are hiding guys on him defensively and attacking him on offense and the scoring just isn't there. And I, I think just giving those minutes to Tatum and Brown would be more productive for Boston because it allows those guys to get comfortable and get into a little bit of a better rhythm. And so Obviously, the Celtics aren't ready to to hit that point, but a month from now, I wonder if that changes because, like, eventually you just got to find your best eight guys and go to war with them. And I don't know if Hayward is going to be in that group when they get to the playoffs. Here's a third real question for you. 
and you know I love these amnesty scenarios, right? Like, would the Wizards amnesty John Wall if they could? If it came time this summer where the Celtics are trying to angle for Anthony Davis and trying to keep Kyrie and all that, yeah. if they had an amnesty clause this summer, would they use it on Gordon Hayward? I think so. I mean, I don't know. I like, look. jeez. Oh, <laughs> I think I think I agree, but I was worried I was going to be just a horrible person. You were going to shoot that down and say no, but you came right out and were like, "Yep, they would." Well, and it's hard because Hayward. Look, everybody is rooting for him to rediscover his game and get back to the player he was two years ago. I, they're like, and so nobody is is kind of enjoying this downfall from him. Um, but when you spin this forward a year or two. The reason losing Kyrie would be so devastating is like then you're left with a roster of like Jason Tatum overpaying Jalen Brown and living out the final few years of this Hayward deal. And that's like kind of a bummer. And it would be a lot easier to get excited about a Kyrie-less future if you could suddenly use that space to build around Tatum and Jalen Brown. But um but who knows? Um, well said. So real quick, I think my ceiling to answer the original question for Tatum is still like Paul George, you know, like this great version of Paul George that we've seen. Yeah. And if I had to choose between Tatum and Ingram, I'm still with Tatum. Uh, what do you think in terms of ceiling and then picking between those two? Um, I, ooh, I don't want to gloat too much about being right on Ingram. I, I will say... Well, I slow enjoyed. down. But, I mean, he's st- <laughs> he's still at a 13 per, so don't get too excited. He's not even at league average yet. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed hearing you extol his progress over the last couple weeks. He's been great. Um, the main thing is, um, I don't totally trust his shooting this month. If he can be a 75 percent shooter from the free throw line. Ingram is going to be really good. And I think wherever he goes next, he's going to be much better than he's been in LA. And so those are reasons to trust Ingram. Tatum, I I have no idea, man. I change my mind on this dude every two weeks. I think he's the biggest X factor with the Celtics ceiling this spring. I think if he can take a step forward in the playoffs, they will make the finals. And if not, and, and if he's not that second shot maker in the half court, then they're ultimately probably going to lose to the Bucks in the second round. Um, so I wouldn't feel great about trading for Tatum over Ingram, but I think he still gets the slight edge. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Okay. Good call. Very, um, very reasonable, rational. You didn't let your familial bias get in the way there. That was great. <laughs> uh, one more question here. Alex says... After the 3-1 comeback in the 2016 finals, I vowed to never doubt LeBron Ramon James Sr. ever again. Now, oh, no. He went to the middle name. Oh, <laughs> I know. That's a big thing on the internet. Now, Alex says, it's 2019, and I'm starting to doubt that man again. At the time of this writing, the Lakers just lost back-to-back games to teams that should have been easy wins. And now they are three games behind the eighth seed in the West. What can you tell me to keep me from jumping the LBJ ship? Do you have anything for our man Alex, Ben? No, I mean, I think I've expressed my concerns about where this is going for LeBron individually. And and even that win over the Pelicans, it it felt so empty. I mean, him hitting that three-pointer was a beautiful moment, right? That's the kind of moment that you get excited about. You don't want to be too cynical about. But when you realize, like, 
the quality of players that he is needing to hit that shot to beat, you know, with yes. Anthony Davis just like sitting on the sideline with the Lakers just getting pounded Dude. inside by Julius <laughs> Randle all night long. It was a dogfight with Darius Miller in the fourth quarter. Like that was pretty right. dark. That's I think that says it all. I mean, I don't I don't I really don't want to dwell on this because we can go on and on and on, but we know the issues. Their yeah. big man rotation's terrible. They don't have any shooting. Their defense isn't great. LeBron's defense hasn't been great basically all season long. And they're trying to get themselves in these, uh, you know, spread out small lineups where they're attacking guys can attack. And they're basically a three-man team right now. Uh, that's what it kind of boils down to. And you're going to win some of those games. You're going to lose others. And I don't see a playoff formula at this point. I mean, yeah. it, it was not an impressive victory against the Pelicans. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And I feel like you and I have laid out the case pretty thoroughly for selling Lakers stock, not just this year, but over the next few years. I I don't see this ending well. So as blasphemous as it sounds, Alex, I I don't blame anybody for for jumping ship from LeBron right now, the SS LeBron. Uh, But real quick, toss up. Make a call, Ben. Who has had the worst six weeks between LeBron and Kyrie since that leadership phone call? Oh, boy. I, I would still go LeBron just because the stakes actually matter for him. You know, like with Kyrie, like I never thought he was a leader. And there's moments and <laughs> seasons where LeBron can trick you into to thinking that, right? But like when we, we heard that phone call from Kyrie, I mean, didn't we come on here and say this is what we wanted to hear? but we also don't believe it. Yeah. And I think from LeBron, like we're, we're deep into believing in, in sort of his viewpoint on basketball, how he's going to construct teams. Even the moves they made at the trade deadline were just like quintessential LeBron moves to go out of there and get Bullock or, uh, you know, get Muscala. I mean, those are just like patented, like, okay, here's how LeBron's going to rework things to add some shooting and, and some spacing. Um, but, you know, there's still moments. I mean, he's not turning the corner quite as, as easily as he used to. Uh, you know, some late game sloppy turnovers in a couple of those recent losses where you know, it kind of makes you wonder, is he 100% healthy or still working himself back into kind of the flow of things? And, you know, when you're just comparing where the Lakers are, this very mediocre team that absolutely deserves to be in this conversation with like Sacramento and the Clippers and these teams that really don't have like a crystal clear quality identity the gap between where they are and where golden state is you know this team that they wanted to challenge kind of coming into the season right you know they were that's where the hype was in terms of okay you know potential new rivalry yeah that seemed possible before lebron's injury the gap is just so wide andrew and that's why i don't want to talk about these guys (laughs) because ultimately it's kind of an afterthought right well Here's the thing. Um, I will just tie this off with a quick thought. First of all, I really enjoyed that answer because I think it's telling. I think you are genuinely wounded by the way this Lakers experience has unfolded. And I am less so because I was skeptical from the beginning. Again, I'm right about the big things. Feeling good. Brandon Ingram stock going through the roof these days. Uh, how are you right about the big things if they're going to miss the playoffs and Brandon Ingram's like this superstar player? I mean, how do you square well, those two things? Well, Brandon Ingram needs more help. I'll tell you that much. That's all I can say after the last <laughs> week of Lakers games. Um, and as far as LeBron versus Kyrie, I think LeBron does have the uh, groin injury as a built-in excuse, and he missed like a month of the past six weeks, whereas Kyrie has been out there 
miserable losing games and fielding questions and going on these leadership dissertations after every game. And so I think he takes the loss on that one, but it is a close call and a very good question. And um, with that, well, one ben, thing that they both well, hold on real quick, because one thing that they both share, which is a real pet peeve of mine, uh-huh. is that they both have this innate desire to spark the context police on Twitter. You know, people who have like they'll say just outrageous things like, yeah, Kyrie, I don't owe anybody anything. LeBron, if you're not ready to, you know, if you're getting distracted at this point of the season, just basically don't even show up. Just quit is essentially what he said the other night, right? Yep. They, they throw out these heaters. I mean, beautiful one-line heaters that they know are going to go everywhere on the internet. And then we have to listen to the context police tweeting, well, here's how the question was phrased, and here's what the full context of the answer was. It's like, guys, you're too far down the rabbit hole. The context was... Here's a heater. <laughs> We're superstars. We you know we could say something in one sentence and it will go big and viral yeah. and that will carry the day. These guys are smart enough in terms of how they handle the media and in some cases manipulate the media that all these calls for context just need to chill. Understand that they know what they're doing when they're in front of microphones. No, and I would add, you know, I hate talking about LeBron on Twitter because if I'm critical of him, There's one faction of people who agree a little bit too much and are like a little too into LeBron criticism. And you have to step back and be like, are you, is this about LeBron or something else? And then at the same time, (laughs) it's like a, a little uncomfortable. And then at the same time, you have this horde of people who in the face of any LeBron criticism are ready to bring up 15 years of sports media history and try to conflate any legitimate criticism today with like stuff he's dealt with eight or nine years ago. And it's just, it's a miserable experience. The internet is a tire fire uh, as ever, but, um, but I was right about the Lakers. That's all that matters. So moving on to uh, actually first, Today's episode is brought to us by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. Ben, tell me a little bit more about Robinhood. Look, Andrew, the simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing so easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. Tap, 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 trade. You can also view stock collections such as the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Open Floor a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Get those blue chippers, guys. Sign up at floor.robinhood.com. That's floor dot robinhood.com. And Andrew, you're always trying to take credit for being right about the Lakers. Let's yep. just keep it 100. At the start of the season, I did my over-under predictions column. First prediction, under on the Lakers. 
last prediction over on the Bucks. All right. So if we're talking about the big things, we're talking about the real things that matter. I mean, come on now. Yes. Well, there's no question. We've been in on the ground floor of the Bucks for about two and a half years now, and it's beautiful to see it finally paying off. Um, I like. I think you and I have both talked amongst ourselves off the podcast about how badly we wish Giannis was a real stock and how rich we would be right now, given the, the way this season <laughs> has unfolded. So, uh, so I'm with you there, um, and I'm happy that that paid off. Moving on, though, to... What, what do you think the New York City venture capitalists who actually own the Bucks think of the idea of Giannis Inc.? Because they are Giannis Inc. <laughs> and they're profiting like crazy from this whole uh, development. They must just be loving life. I know. They're doing well, and I'm happy for them. Um, I'm happy for all of us at the heart of Giannis Inc. here. But moving to another team in L.A., Ben, um, Sam says... Am I missing something here? So much of the national media talks about the Lakers, Celtics, and Knicks. Like, those are the only teams in the AD sweepstakes. What about the Clippers this summer? Beyond AD, I think people are seriously underestimating their chances at becoming a major player. So what do you think? Okay, I have two scenarios that I thought they should do, and I actually told the Clippers this, and both of them... I basically got back very fuzzy responses and it didn't seem like they were as excited about my ideas as I was, which that happens sometimes. I'm going to run both these ideas by you Mm -hmm. and you tell me what you think, okay? Number one, I thought they should have thought really strong and hard about trying to trade for Anthony Davis before the deadline Yep, uh, because similar to that Chris Paul idea that that was so successful for them in terms of sneaking in, grabbing him, bringing him to LA once the Lakers deal fell apart – I mean, they had a qual- quality picks from the Tobias Harris trade. They've got Shea Gilgis Alexander, a nice, you know, young asset. They've got a bunch of guys on reasonable contracts: Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell. So, if you're trying to put together uh, a package to help Dell Demps save his job, or to sell to Pelicans fans about, hey, we could be a, a playoff team uh, next season, the uh-huh. Clippers had those kinds of pieces, right? And the idea in trading for Anthony Davis early would be, you know, you've got Steve Ballmer, the Microsoft, the tech connections, all of that. You can try to do that same thing that Golden State was doing with KD yep. to AD as well. And basically just be like, hey, you know, you're going to blow up. You're going to be the face of the franchise. You're going to have billboards uh, in downtown Staples Center. You're going to be the guy. Rather than trying to save the two max slots for the summer, use one of them on AD and then use him as your lure to try to go get a Kawhi Leonard or, or somebody else this summer. I liked that idea a lot for them. They didn't really seem that interested in it, and I think I know why, but what do you think? Well, um, I think Kevin Durant is going to the Knicks, and so that's one reason that that idea doesn't hold as much water. Um, The other issue, I guess I just have kind of a completely different take where I have no idea where this is going in LA, and I have no idea what the plan is. And I would say, like, To begin with, with my confusion, I have no idea why they're trying to make the playoffs when they will keep their lottery pick if they miss the playoffs, and yet they continue to win games, and that's an asset that is just going out the door if they do make it to the playoffs, because then that pick goes to the the Celtics. And so um, I I don't disagree with Sam's question here and, and the idea that they are kind of a sleeping giant, and I don't disagree with, like, the dreams that they should have that you've laid out there. 
But like, it's just really hard to read where any of this is going with that team. So I think that the reason why they were maybe scared off AD or not interested in AD, I think that they still do have that little, little brother syndrome with the Lakers. Yeah. Where if they had traded all those assets that I laid out to get him, and then they basically nurture him for a year and a half, and then he becomes an unrestricted free agent, and the Lakers are just like, hey, come across the hallway. Yeah. That's a real concern where he, you know, he's all settled in LA, basically like you know, the, <laughs> the Clippers were sort of his bridge to the right. Lakers, right? And I think that would scare them. Um, and that should and scare I, I totally, them. That's 365 days of tampering for LeBron there. Totally understood. At the same time, uh, I would have considered doing that if I were them because, you know, it, you could see it working out. Like there is a path towards that actually being pretty functional for them. Uh, nevertheless, they didn't do that. My second plan for them, though, and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this. You just mentioned, okay, KD is probably going to the Knicks and he's been floated as like the partner for, say, Kawhi in those two max slots for the Clippers, right? It's yeah. really hard for me to picture that actually coming together. Those two guys, those two personalities, those two egos, Nike and New Balance joining forces. Well, can't say that I see that one I coming together. I think they together, have you know kind of I mean? a, a latent rivalry over the last couple of years too. I mean, I don't think that they hate each other, but I don't think they like each other enough to suddenly want to join forces and create a super team in LA. Right. So the two that I would be chasing if I were the Clippers, let's just not have KD in this picture, right? Okay. I'd be trying to get Kawhi Leonard and Kemba Walker. And I think there's a, a big assumption maybe that the, the Hornets are just going to pay crazy money to keep Kemba. And he's so loyal and he's been that guy for them, that face of the franchise guy, just sort of like the Damian Lillard type player, the Bradley Beal type player yep. uh, for the Hornets that maybe he's not attainable. But I think you could make a pretty strong pitch to him that, first of all, fantastic basketball fit with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, that's a pretty nice mesh. You'd get to be the face of everything for the team because Kawhi's not going to do any commercials except to do commercials where he's talking about how he doesn't like doing commercials, which are just the most pointless things I've ever seen. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he'd be in a big, a much bigger market, higher profile uh, you know, team than the Hornets, which is not really saying much. Uh, and it would be a fresh start for him. And if you're Kawhi, the idea of this tandem would be, would you rather spend the next four years of your career, the rest of your prime, playing with aging Kyle Lowry, aging Serge Ibaka, uh, aging Marc Gasol if he opts in, yeah. and then just basically tying yourself to the future of uh, our guy Pascal Siakam? Or do you want to come to a Clippers team where you've got lots of flexibility, you'd have a second star in Kemba Walker who could be that point guard and that shot creator to kind of keep the offense balanced, and he'd be aligned with you you know, more effectively age-wise so you guys could grow together a little bit and, and you'd no doubt be a playoff team uh, hitting the ground running together next season. To me, that sounds pretty good for all involved parties. Um, you know, minus the Raptors who would lose their main guy and, and minus the Hornets who would be really adrift if they lost Kemba. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that plan? Um, I like it. I think one of the X factors is what happens in Charlotte. And, and it, that's actually going to be really interesting because I, I don't know if you saw Kemba Wednesday night. We're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. I think he had like 28 in the first half Wednesday night. And he is starting to get hot again. If he does make all NBA, he will be supermax eligible. And that could be the first case of a team staring down that $200 million deal and saying, you know what? We love you, but we just can't do this. I, I wouldn't want to commit that money to Kemba at his age and at his size. And, and given 
the ceiling the Hornets have had over the last few years. Um, Man, MJ would take so much flag for that, but it would probably be it the would right be decision, the right, right decision. Yeah, for everybody. Um, but if they don't, and this is why teams have to give these have to give guys these deals is like if they don't offer the super max, then that may kind of rub Kemba the wrong way and send him out the door, which again, isn't the worst thing in the world for the Hornets. But um, that's one of the factors in play. Anytime you talk about these deals. So I could see Kemba being an option. And, um, and it's funny, like the, the Clippers are sort of like a mirror image of the Raptors, only they don't have Kawhi. And uh, particularly if you add Kemba to the mix in LA, and that's just a really tough spot for Toronto to be in because suddenly you're dealing with like a Western Conference doppelganger who, instead of Toronto, plays in LA where Kawhi is from. The supporting cast has just as many weird young guys who are never going to be actually good, but are like weirdly helpful and could be supporting cast members on a good team. You got Montres Harrell going 150 miles an hour on, on both ends and like. You've got a coach who's going to cater to him in both places. I mean, the the Raptors are bending over backwards. It's almost embarrassing how much they cater to Kawhi, frankly. But Doc Rivers is going to be the same way. Like Doc's going to understand who butters his bread. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's not a shot at the Raptors, who we've frankly been a little unfair to lately. They are playing really well, and they are going to be tough when we get to the playoffs. And so it's not a shot at them. It's just like when you really break it down between Toronto and LA. The Clippers are going to have some kind of built-in advantages, and then a lot of these categories are going to be roughly equal. Um, so I could see that happening. I just don't know, you know, what a Kawhi Kemba duo can really do in the West. And part of the problem, as we kind of spin it forward and try to gauge who's going to be where in the West next year, is like we just have no idea what the hierarchy is going to look like. Like. Draymond and Durant could be off Golden State next year. And I don't know where that leaves us. You know, another guy who I could definitely see uh, ending up in a Clippers uniform if, if Kawhi doesn't pan out is Jimmy Butler. Yeah, um, well, that's a, know, he's a gonna, rough he, consolation prize. Right, but I mean, he's going to need a landing spot, right, if, if Philly doesn't pay him. I mean, unless they make the conference finals, they can't pay all these guys. I mean, that would be nuts. Maybe they will. Maybe Elton Brand is, you know, dealing with uh, – you know, fat cat owners that we don't quite realize, you know, how much they're willing to put out for sort of a, a quality, but not like unbelievable product. But to me, it would be crazy if they pay all those guys. And uh, I'd be prioritizing Tobias just based on fit there uh, over Jimmy. And at that point, Jimmy's going to need somebody who's rich and has a landing spot and needs the face of a franchise. And, you know, he loves LA, Mark Wahlberg, all that stuff. I could see that wind up, you know, being sort of how the, uh, the musical chairs land. Oh, that's just a brutal reality to be thinking about if you're a Clippers fan. Brought you down there. My bad. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) Well, imagine going from like, all right, so we've got 60 to $70 million in cash space. Like, we could get KD. Like, who knows? Anything is possible. Or we could get Kawhi. Like, we got a lot of advantages over the Raptors. Or, like, we could add Kemba. Like, they're probably not going to want to pay Kemba. And then you go down the list and it's like, or we could pay $170 million to Jimmy Butler. Mark Wahlberg could be courtside at every game and trying to like edge out one of our announcers to get some airtime on like Fox Sports West. And that could be the Clippers reality like as, as like a seventh place team. Like 
That's pretty brutal. I hope that they just save their money if they strike out on Kawhi and Kemba. Andrew, I mean, isn't that exactly what, isn't that the little brother version of what happened to the Lakers last summer? It, kind down of, yes. to everything. <laughs> I mean, it was supposed to be LeBron and Paul George or LeBron and Kawhi and Paul George. We had all these scenarios, all these Photoshop social media graphics, and it wound up being LeBron and KCP and Rondo. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it's that that's basically what we're describing. Jimmy Butler being... Uh, the slightly younger little brother version of LeBron for the Clippers. Yeah, that is I want the Clippers gar- I mean, to dream at the same time, <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> I think that dreaming is not their problem, right? I think yeah. the executing is going to be their problem. I well, think that they've got their eyes on the biggest possible stars. They're making very compelling cases. I mean, look, you can't ask for more than Steve Ballmer than the fact that he went on the boardroom ESPN Plus show with Rich Kleiman. I mean, that is putting in a heavy lift, Andrew. I mean, he was dropping knowledge on that show by the way he said uh he wouldn't even sell the clippers for 80 billion dollars can you believe that i did not hear that um but i'm glad that steve ballmer is carrying the clippers message on the most prestigious platform sports media has to offer the boardroom (laughs) on espn plus um the uh the clippers though to your point earlier the the distinction between dreaming and executing that's part of where i struggle with this team is like and and projecting the future it's just really hard for me to imagine them hitting on all these guys and i say that while acknowledging that they've planned about as well as they possibly could and they're in great spots for a number of guys they have trade assets I think there's just a mental block in my brain. Like until it really happens, it's going to be impossible for me to imagine the Clippers turning into a legit contender that kind of oh, comes out of nowhere. That's a you problem, though. That's, I know it that's is a you problem. I, I don't not, deny not a Clippers that. problem because well, you need to just go back and watch those early Lob City teams, man, because that did happen. Like they did go get Chris Paul, they did draft Blake Griffin, and they did develop DeAndre Jordan into you know. Uh, you know, throw ahead, go ahead and throw your asterisk on it, but an all-NBA level center, right? I mean, well, they, that was a pretty nice team, and that was a pretty well-constructed team. They deserve credit for doing that. And I think if the emailer's point is nobody's talking about the Clippers and people should be talking about the Clippers, I think that point is very well taken. Yes. And you should take it. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I'm i not saying that I'm not taking the Clippers just seriously. Jabbing. <laughs> just in my gut and in my heart of hearts, it's hard for me, for me to imagine, in part because those Lob City teams were kind of like the Clippers version of like a dynasty that everyone can be proud of forever. Like, yeah, they were really good, but they were also kind of ephemeral and really, really frustrating. And um, it's it's just tough. They didn't necessarily transform the identity of that franchise, but maybe Kawhi and Kemba will. Who knows? It's all on the table this summer. Um, I mean, they came pretty close to transforming the identity, but the thing that they did do is show that they could play in the deep water. Yeah. You know? I mean, well, that was something that they never they never even had a dream of doing before that Chris Paul trade. And I think that there is lasting benefits to that. The Clippers organization as a whole, especially with Ballmer as the owner, is yeah. in such a different place uh, in this landscape than they were pre-Balmer, pre-Chris Paul. I agree completely. And and I would say the more convincing transformation has been the last two years where they have just done everything right, hired the right people, and, uh, and been really impressive. Even, uh, look, as much as I knock them for winning games and can't really understand what their thinking is, 
even watching them night in and night out, like they're really good and fun to watch. Um, you know, Lou Williams is not going to go quietly, and I, I love them for that. So, but with that, let's move on. Today's show is also brought to us by SAP and NBA TV. Every NBA fan thinks they can be a GM, but could they really? Now, SAP and the NBA are putting four stat-savvy fans to the test in a new reality show called GM School, a team of celebrity judges, including championship GM David Griffin and Hall of Famer Kevin McHale, will decide who's ready for the front office and who needs another season to study up. Catch GM School, powered by SAP, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on NBA TV. Ben, after the last few podcasts, can you imagine any listeners out there who are not watching GM School at 8 p.m. Eastern every Wednesday on NBA TV? 100% attention, right? There's no question. (laughs) GM School is powered by SAP, and it's on NBA TV Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All right. Well, let's get back to it with a few more questions. One, um, and we get this a lot, uh, Mata says, with LeBron James not being as dominant lately and perhaps not even making it to the playoffs, who is the best player in the world right now? What do you think, Ben? Uh, so are we saying in a vacuum, are we using my top 100 test? We are, but we also don't need to go full deep dive like this. I'm not Rob Mahoney and this isn't one of your secret nerdy calls. So just give me like a, a 45 second take, not like a 10 minute breakdown. I'll give you a two letter take. KD. All right, there you go. That's my answer. In All a right. vacuum, I take KD over anybody else based on how this season has gone. I would give Giannis consideration. I would definitely give Steph Curry consideration. Um, that would be basically all of the consideration. And I I would take KD over the rest of them without thinking uh, you know very long and hard about it. I certainly could not fill an entire episode of GM School weighing this decision. <laughs> okay. I think I have to go Giannis. And I recognize... That KD, well, seriously, Giannis has just been that good. I've talked to a couple NBA guys, people around the league who have said the same thing and said, look, Giannis is the best player in basketball right now. And and I think it's something that will get lost as we have these MVP conversations because a lot of people are going to point to Giannis and talk about his resume and how much the Bucks have improved and yada, 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 and say, look, he's just got the best case, blah, 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 blah. Fair enough. Giannis is also just the best fucking player in the league right now. And, and like, he's 24 years old or whatever he is, and so it seems like it might be early, but he's just more dominant than anyone out there. And um, I say that in recognizing that KD's skill set may make him more valuable and and more lethal in a playoff setting. And that's the only reason I have any pause about kind of anointing Giannis. Um, but I do yeah, think... To me, it's the shooting. It's the proven uh, postseason experience. Yeah. Um, it is the shooting off the dribble. Uh, and it's just also the idea of, you know, the vacuum test. I think KD is just more... You know, you could throw him on more different types of teams and still get A-plus level contributions with Giannis as incredible as he's been individually. And he has driven 
their offense, and their defensive success this season. He's also benefiting from a fantastic coach. The whole thing is built around him and a really quality cast of teammates that fits perfectly. So I just my concern is if we're, if we're saying best player in the world in a vacuum, the theoretical best player rather than who's had clearly the best season this year, Yeah, I would still lean KD. Uh, but, you know, that hurts me to do. I mean, Giannis <laughs> is just... well. And in terms of personality and leadership and competitiveness and night to night drive and all the things that old guys like myself love to just slather about, you know, uh Giannis checks all of those boxes and KD doesn't right now. Yeah. That's unfortunate because KD was that guy two, three years ago. I bet KD is going to be that guy in May and June, but tonight, tonight he hasn't been. And I guess I'm just really giving him the benefit of the doubt there. I cannot wait until KD is off the Warriors. I think watching him wherever he is, whether it's New York, whether it's LA, um, he could come to DC. He's welcome anytime. He can got a spare bedroom here. But like, yeah, d- don't worry about that. You can <laughs> you can just turn that into a home office, or you can remodel it. Tell Alice she, she can have a room to do her own home, you know home office, whatever she needs. You don't have to say that. Well, one, okay? listen, the door is open, um, but he's just in such a weird spot. Did you see that quote after the Rockets Warriors game where they asked him about Draymond's ankle injury and how the Warriors might adjust? And he kind of shot back. He's like, you know, we'll be fine. All that matters is the playoffs. Nobody cares around the reg- about the regular season around here. Right. And it's like, I like, did you see that clip by any chance? I didn't see that, but I, I mean, are him and Kyrie just, you know, exchanging text, me- like read, like daring each other to read text messages, like in, in public was, as their press dude, conferences? <laughs> it was so weird. I don't know whether he's taking a shot at the reporter there or his team or the idea that the Warriors only care about the playoffs. Like it was just, there's just a strange energy. And I think he's going to be a lot happier wherever he goes next. And, um, and I love KD. I'm not sure about that. Look, well, maybe not. To be honest, here's the thing: I this is a KD issue. I, I think personal happiness. When you're as rich as Kevin is, as connected, as deep into your own personal interests off the court, mm-hmm. as set up for success in a basketball environment, as supported by your coach, teammates, fellow superstar Steph Curry, ownership, uh, all of that table has been laid perfectly for Kevin. Yeah. Right? If you're not happy, that's a Kevin problem. That's not an organization problem. And I'm not completely convinced that a change of scenery, it might make him happier in the short term. But to me, you know, there's something, I don't want to play psychologist. There's something more deep-seated there, right? Like his happiness, you can't blame on his circumstances. I just don't see it. Yeah, it's really hard to say what exactly is happening there. Um, but I do want him to be in a in a more comfortable spot. Um, and watching him go ballistic on people wherever he is next will be a lot of fun. Uh, but I just want to echo your point with Giannis. And and when you think about it, like when Harden was, was winning MVP last year, there was never any doubt that he was not the best player on the planet. And the same was true with the Westbrook MVP. And it's fun to have Giannis really staking his claim as he's also having like the most outstanding season in the NBA, um, because that's kind of a a new change. Like that, we're not going to ha- necessarily have to have an asterisk next to this year's MVP because he's just been that good. So, um, finally, for once, right? And here's the thing: this conversation will get so interesting. Step versus KD versus Giannis versus yep. LeBron for number one on next year's top 100. If Giannis gets the Bucks to the finals. 
I yes. mean, that's going to be the kind of debate where you can just go around and around and around and around for hours and not ever reach a consensus answer. And so, you know, as guys who like to bloviate on podcasts, we should probably be rooting for that. <laughs> that sounds like a good thing for our personal bottom line. Yeah. Well, a little bit more bloviating here. Tom says, what if we've got it all wrong? AD, Draymond, etc. haven't been joining Clutch Sports to angle their way onto the Lakers, but instead they're maximizing their chances of joining the Toon Squad for Space Jam 2. Surely Rich Paul is just 2019's Wayne Knight, right? Um, do you have any idea who Wayne Knight is, Ben? Uh, no, I know Suge Knight. <laughs> Wayne Knight... Played Newman on Seinfeld. Um, it's kind of a, a good oh. Rich Paul burn there. Uh, but the reason I included this question is because there's probably going to be a lot of Space Jam 2 casting discussions. And it did occur to me earlier this week um, in the midst of Laker misery that by the time this movie comes out, LeBron might be in a pretty grim place. Um, and there's really only one way to potentially save Space Jam 2. Do you want to know what it is? Please. He needs to cast Bronny as a member of the Toon Squad oh. <laughs> to insulate himself from any criticisms and any I, the idea that this movie is depressing. He needs to channel all the movie's energy into his son. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're proposing that we're going to combine Space Jam, a basketball classic, with that Lil Bow Wow movie? I don't know, was it Like Mike? It's or what exactly was it called, what I'm proposing. <laughs> so you want to merge those two movies together. I can promise you that will not work, Andrew. That will be a terrible movie. I don't know, man. I think... Bronny might have a higher Q rating, approval rating than LeBron by the time this movie releases, and he might just need to kind of ride his son's coattails to box office success. I, the Space Jam 2 is going to be a really tough act to pull off successfully, and I think you need to pull out all the stops to make this work. Yeah, I, it's not going to be pulled off successfully. I can promise you that. Um, just <laughs> Just for the context, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. The box office got 230 million uh -huh. for Space Jam, and the budget was 80 million. So, if the whole budget for that movie was 80 million, I mean, are we really gonna? Are, are we just joking here, saying guys are going to be influenced by being in this movie, right? Like, there's not actually enough money on the table here to influence anybody's decision. Can we at least say that part? Um, yes, there's no question. And Clutch Sports does a really good job, like representing their guys, AD notwithstanding. Okay. So, I, I'm not saying that they've been induced to sign with Space Jam cameos. I do think that it's going to be hilarious. I, I brought this. <laughs> Yeah, I brought this down with my reality-based nonsense, so sorry about that. <laughs> no. So here's the list of guys from Wikipedia that were in the movie. Charles Barkley, Sean Bradley, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bugs. I mean, if you line that up, Charles Barkley, that's Draymond Green. Uh -huh. Sean Bradley, that's Chris Stapps Porzingis. Patrick Ewing, that's Joel Embiid. Larry Johnson, that's obviously Zion Williamson, future clutch client. Yep. And uh, Muggsy Bogues is obviously Isaiah Thomas. I mean, the whole squad writes itself. I don't even know why we're having these debates. And sorry, Anthony Davis, you didn't make the cut. Maybe if you played a little harder, uh, you, you could have made the uh, the roster. Yeah, or maybe if you didn't add the Celtics to your list on your own volition at All-Star Weekend. That was a mistake. Cost <laughs> yourself a spot in Space Jam 2, you know? 
It's the way life works. All 29 teams, <laughs> including the Monstars, are on my list. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Two, two last questions here. First, from Jeff. Do you think Trey Young has made a strong enough case to be considered for the Rookie of the Year award? Um, we'll get to that in a second. I just want to say Trey Young has been murdering it lately. The Atlanta Hawks, unofficial team of open floor, or at least Team Sharp, are looking great. I, they may not even need Zion at this point. I mean, John Collins last night had, I think, 34, including 18 in the fourth quarter. And uh, Trey Young was lights out. DeAndre Bembry is looking good and pretty useful on the wing. Do you share You know who I feel bad for? What? R- real quick. It's the Nets fans because the Hawks are so much better at being the Nets than the Nets are, you know what I mean? And like, I'm with you. I'm not going to say it's the official team of open floor, but I mean, I, I get a lot more wi- excited watching Trey Young play, doing what he's doing in year one oh my compared God. to watching what's happening in Brooklyn. Yeah. And we should add, you know, it's not normal. Obviously, I think everybody knows this, that it's not normal for rookies to put up the numbers that this year's rookies are putting up but um it also just bodes really really well for where their careers are headed like it guys don't come in and average 20 and 10 the way trey young has done the way luca has done and you know some of the lines that jaron jackson will have in memphis it's just like holy shit like you're 50 percent of the player you're you're gonna be like where are we gonna be in five years and uh so it's just pretty wild what's happening all over the league with these guys no doubt. And we should give a thank you to Trey Young because I know we were both on the whole preaching patience at the start of the season, yeah. even though the efficiency numbers were really ugly. The shot selection questions were pretty weird. And preaching patience is like the lamest podcast take there is. <laughs> I think that's honestly, it might be number one overall. Yep. Uh, other than saying Mike's not the GOAT, that might be number one. And then preaching patience is number two. Um, Thank you, Trey Young, for making us look smart because it didn't take very long. We, well, we, we needed like two and a half months of patience, and here he is putting up these crazy numbers and contributing to wins and showing that he can be a player at the center of a quality scheme. You know, yeah. I mean, you can see this thing building around him um, already. Yeah, and it's funny because I was sort of pot committed at that point when we had our Trey Young conversation in November because like, I was high on him when we were talking about the draft and over the summer even a little bit. Um, but then I went and talked to him and wrote that piece on Trey to start the year. And we had a really good conversation. I was happy with the way the piece came together. And then his game just fell apart <laughs> for the month after that piece ran. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, maybe everybody was right. Um, but he, it's been really cool to see him kind of get his bearings and start to just I mean, I don't know. He's he's blowing people off the court right now. Um, they they still can't guard anybody, which is a bit of a concern for the Hawks. Like, it no matter who yeah. Atlanta plays, they're putting up 130 points. Um, so that's something we can address over the next few years with open floors, uh, Hawks. Well, I mean, there is a little bit of like the peak Isaiah Thomas vibe with Trey Young, where like his defense at real plus minus is so rough yeah. that he has to be scoring 35 to 40, right? Like he has to be putting up those kinds of numbers because there's a lot of give back on the other end. Yep. And that'll just be a process where they've got to build a roster around him for two to three years to kind of get all those pieces right. In terms of the rookie of the year discussion, which was the question from Jeff, yeah. to me, Trey Young can be considered for it. 
Uh, but it's still Luca, clearly to me. Well, you know, the Luca Industrial Complex has already done its work. The award was decided back in November, and there's nothing any of Come us on. can do about it. It's Everyone's- not like he's falling off. <laughs> you love talking about February numbers for your favorite young players. Imagine if you were actually, you know, reasonable to, in terms of your takes towards Luca. You'd be praising his February numbers too. Well, we'll finish off Ben, who wrote in and said, "Sharps, Jaron Jackson Jr. over over Luca take." Is- is insane. Jaron's ceiling as an offensive player isn't even what Luka is now, whether it be serving as the engine of an NBA offense or just the raw numbers he's putting up this year. And look, a lot of people can feel that way. That's fine. Um, I'm not here to tear Luka down. He has been fantastic. He is like a European Tyreek Evans thriving as a rookie, uh, blowing the league away. We'll just see where he is. I'm curious about how much room he has to grow from here. I didn't like the part of the email where he said Jaron's ceiling can't be as high as Luka's current status because, I mean, Dallas has a below average team offense, right? So it's not like Luka has these guys as a top 10 thing out of the gate. And of course, you know, there's not the greatest talent in the world around him, but you want to see, I mean, Luca's ceiling is so much higher than Luca's current status, I guess is my point. I mean, to me, I can see him as the lead playmaker of a top five offense year after year after year, um, you know, once they get this thing, you know, going in the not too different distant future, right? And that's a far cry from where he is right now. And I think, you know, Jaron's offensive potential is pretty darn high. We've been over it before, but he could be a 20 points per game score. Uh, he can do it efficiently. Well, uh, and he can do that Davis. while also being the best defensive player in the league, which isn't something Luca is ever going to be. And I, I just think like as a puzzle piece, Jaron Jackson Jr. I still can't say his name um, without stuttering, but as a Jaron, yes, uh, Jaron can be like super duper valuable and potentially a uh, Kevin Garnett for a new generation. Uh, whereas Luca. To me, I still sort of see poor man's Harden. I hope I'm wrong, and I'm. I just need to be clear. I'm not rooting against Luka Doncic, no matter what happens. Um, and it's been cool. He's surprised me big time this year. He's been better than I expected. So uh, I, I think the kind of lame take to close it out is that all these guys are awesome, and it's pretty wild how successful they've all been. Yep. Um, good take. I mean, that was a little, little soft, but that's okay. We can, we can close on that note. We opened on a very heartfelt moment towards our guy, Lou, and we can close on a soft take. That's all right. There we go. Andrew, good times talking hoops with you today. The emailers can contribute and they did in a big time way. You guys heard all their questions. They were incredible. Email us openfloormail at gmail.com. Also check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for open floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down, it will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy we're also on the world famous radio.com slash open floor and don't forget if you want to hang out in the lantern with me follow me on instagram at ben.goliver it's just that easy andrew until next week i'll talk to you all right man take it easy